Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities, the Archdiocese of Denver. Remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Sarah Partial Perry. She is a legal fellow for the Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. And her commentaries and analysis have appeared on various outlets, Washington Times, National Review, Human Events, The Federalist First Things, among many. Uh, Sarah, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. So you just, you know, we were talking about it before on air, and I, I was getting all excited, really probably more irritated than excited, um, about the topic you just recently wrote on, because it's so much in the news with Leah Thomas and everything going on, but your article Leah Thomas was just the beginning. Biden administration wants to eliminate women's sports. And uh, I think that's pretty much it in a nutshell. There really is an all out assault on women's sports through the Department of Education and really women in general. And maybe we'll get into some of that. But it really is uh, mind blowing. It's, you know, the emperor has no clothes and, and no one's no one's willing to say anything. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I've actually used that that exact same analogy. The emperor has no clothes because, as we know, the notion of gender identity is internal. It is subjective. It is malleable. And it's the first time in all civil rights law in the history of America where we're being asked to acquiesce to someone's belief about themselves, treating it as though it is immutable fact. Remember, just a few years ago, this was listed as gender dysphoria disorder in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is sort of the guiding manual for the psychiatric profession in America. But now, for some reason, the notion of gender identity has risen to a new prominence in the American culture. And what we're facing now is the penultimate law designed to protect women in education that guarantees that neither men nor women are discriminated against within the context of any federally funded education program. And that's no matter how much federal funding a an organization, an educational organization uh, receives, whether directly or indirectly. And we're talking K through 12 and higher education. So you can see right off the bat the significant application that this is going to have. The other provision of this Title IX rewrite that's going to be significantly impactful, and we're in what's called the rulemaking phase right now under the Administrative Procedure Act, and the APA is a law that's designed to guarantee transparency within rulemaking through federal agencies, and that's a way of a federal agency to interpret the laws that it is tasked with enforcing. So we've got Title IX that's enforced by the Department of Education. They are engaging in what's called rulemaking on Title IX, and their rulemaking has promised to do two things, expanding sex to include gender identity, which I just alluded to, and the other is removing due process protections for those individuals who are accused of sexual assault or sexual harassment. 
I was senior counsel to the Assistant Secretary for Civil Rights at the Department of Education under Betsy DeVos, and we painstakingly crafted a rule that would guarantee both individuals on both sides of the process, the accused and the accuser, would have an opportunity to be represented by counsel. They could introduce evidence. They could cross-examine witnesses. So they were given, even though these are non-judicial proceedings, these are college grievance proceedings, but they were still given the greatest protections we could afford them under federal law. Well, both of these changes are going to be rolled back by this administration. They'll expand sex to include gender identity, and they'll roll back all the due process protections and the freedom of speech protections we put in the Title IX rule just two years ago. So I think for those of of your listeners who are sort of most keenly interested in this particular subject, the biggest impact right off the bat is going to be this expansion of sex to include gender identity. And that's going to include all sex segregated spaces, whether that's bathrooms and locker rooms, whether that's dormitories, whether that's overnight housing accommodations for travel teams, or whether that's sports teams. And that is really the tip of the spear when it comes to discussing things like this, because we've seen women's sports at the academic level increase 1,000% under Title IX since 1972. It's kind of the 50th anniversary of Title IX and really the death of Title IX, as you've been explaining, because it really is uh, the government forcing people to live in a delusional world that someone struggles. And let's be honest, like these people are struggling, they need help, but the help isn't to have everybody agree with them. The help is to get them some mental help, get you know counseling, whatever is needed but to make everybody else live in the delusion and put women's safety at stake. Cause you're talking bathrooms, as you mentioned, travel accommodations, uh, you yep. know, we're basically telling women, we don't care. Aren't we? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And this, when this was introduced in 1971, it was a subject of intense debate in both the house and the Senate and 250 versions of this legislation went back and forth between both chambers until they could settle on a piece of legislation that ultimately became Title IX. And this was considered a feminist triumph at the time. National Organization of Women and other organizations were pushing forward, not just the Equal Rights Amendment, but Title IX. They had achieved the sort of the prohibition on sex discrimination in employment under Title VII. And that's employment law. We saw that in the Bostock versus Clayton County case two years ago. But this is specifically related to education. And this is a particular circumstance in which the law has for decades, and this is the 50th anniversary this year, the law has recognized the necessity of how men and women are different, how they not only have different biological makeups, but they have different academic needs and they require different things to ensure that the provision of services is equal. And yet, where are these organizations now understanding that the legal definition of womanhood is now on the line? Well, and you mentioned, you know, the great feminist movement, you know, it was, you know, you used to hear, hear me roar, where where is the roar, right? I don't see anybody defending our daughters, our granddaughters. You know, they're losing out on scholarship opportunities. I mean, forget 
any kind of women's records, those, all those books will be rewritten. Um, not to mention, you see what's going on in Florida, you know, trying to have the Parental Rights Act and you got, you know, Press Secretary Saki crying because she thinks it's, you know, <laughs> what's going on, you know, the second, you know, what's going on in New Jersey with the elementary school kids and the supposed Catholic governor uh, letting things go by. I mean, it really feels like we're living in an alternate universe. Yes, it really does. And again, I think I go back to the notion of this malleable self-subjective identity to which everyone else is being forced to acquiesce. Now, generous estimates put the transgender population, the true transgender population, who would have a diagnosis under the DSM at 0.6%. That, in relation to the 52% of American women in the country, seems to me as though we are putting the cart before the horse. And for the Department of Education to tell us that we need a new rule, a Title IX, when they fail to articulate any basis on which Title IX has failed to prevent discrimination in education absolutely amazes us. We are waiting for a statement of why it's necessary. What we've heard instead is a lot of bluster about trans individuals and trans allies and uh, trans people of color. We've heard no statistics. We have heard no articulation for why this rule, and it is significant. This is a banner rule guaranteeing equality in education. We've heard no explanation for why it's necessary. And so what we're trying to do now at the Heritage Foundation is hold meetings with the Office for Management and Budget. And OMB is the last stop before this rule is rubber stamped with approval and sent back to the Department of Education for publication. So just yesterday, a team of us held a meeting with the Office for Management and Budget. We expressed our concerns with the rule. These are brief brief meetings. We have to make the most of our time. We get 30 minutes. And we had a <laughs> meeting yesterday. And what, what we're hoping is that we have identified some of the costs, the the anticipated and unanticipated costs, and the studied and unstudied impacts of changing a 50-year-old rule to interpret sex as equivalent to gender identity. It will have a disastrous impact on women in education. We will go from the incredible numbers we've seen now to a reversal of all the achievements women have made in education for five decades. In fact, 94% of female executives have played competitive sports at the educational level, whether K through 12 or whether at the collegiate level. There's a direct line between athletic opportunity and ultimate success later in life. And I have to tell you, as a woman who benefited from Title IX, playing varsity softball, and as the mother of a teenage girl who herself is benefiting from the protections of Title IX, playing varsity volleyball, the thought of having to upend decades of progress and to send women ultimately back to the dark ages where once again, you are subverting the interests of women in education to those of biological men is really heartbreaking. It really sort of puts a new urgency on this issue for me because truly I have skin in this game. Well, and to be honest, everybody should have skin in this game, right? Whether you have a daughter, whether you have granddaughters, whether it doesn't matter. 
Do you want boys walking into the bathroom with your daughter in there? Do you want right. you know, right. them being in the locker room, right? You got this Leah Thomas, Leah Thomas, right? She now calls herself a she, she's really a he, was Will Thomas swimming at the men's team from 17 through 19. Now all of a right. sudden she decides, you know, I'm gonna compete as a woman. I mean, just think of a guy in a girl's locker room that, you know, just how disturbing that would be, let alone competing at breaking records. We saw what happened, but it's happened. What in women's weightlifting, we see it in track. There's been a big story about cycling and other sports. Yep. It really is. How many young girls are just going to say, you know what, I'm not going to bother mom or dad because I can't win anyway. So they won't even try sports because there'll be no point if you're trying to, you know, prove, you know, try to win something. It's demoralizing for a young woman to recognize that she cannot possibly compete against someone who, despite hormone use, and sometimes these individuals utilize hormones, sometimes they don't, sometimes they've had affirming surgery, sometimes they haven't. Biological males have a greater muscle mass, they have a faster twitch response, greater lung capacity, generalized greater height, bone density. There are so many biological advantages that men have over women that it truly is going to divest the girls and the young women who just want a chance to play at all from the opportunity to even get a slot on the roster. We're not even just talking championships. And Leah Thomas, as you mentioned, perfect example, University of Pennsylvania, swimmer who competed for two years as a male, who, by the way, was a very average male. He was ranked 462nd in the nation, but suddenly skyrocketed to the top of the NCAA Women's Swimming Championships because he decided that he was going to take a year of hormone therapy and compete as a woman. But the, the girls who are more moderate athletes or good enough to get on the team, but perhaps not nationally ranked as champions, they won't even get a chance to get on the field or in the pool. And that, to me, is the biggest heartbreak of all. We're not just talking about trophies and medals. We are talking about the opportunity to compete at all. And those are the young women who are going to decide it truly isn't worth the effort. Well, and, you know, when you compete, you know, met, you know, very few people win the trophies. But, you know, in our hearts, whenever we compete against something, right, we have this hope of being able to win and to go into it with no hope. That demoralization, as you talk about, uh, you know, really is absurd. And we just see what's going on throughout our country and people caving to this delusion while it's actually hurting people. Right. We just had two women prisoners in New Jersey get pregnant by a transgender woman who got them pregnant because he decided he didn't want to be in the man's jail. I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up. But it really is, you know, you're, you're working with, uh, you know, trying to work with the Biden administration. It's hard to believe that an administration could be wrong on every important issue. And, <laughs> and just, I mean, you'd have to, I mean, it's almost like you'd be in the fiction aisle of your library. But whether it's marriage, yeah. whether it's uh, gender identity, whether it's abortion, any of these issues, they are not only wrong, but they just keep running as far away as possible. They have no care for women, whether they're pregnant, in marriage, in sports, in education. It really is an all-out assault on women. And guys need to stand up on this, right? You just can't watch and see what's going on. We need, if we stood up, none of this would be going on anyway. 
I, I could not agree more. And I so appreciate your saying that I do have a lot of conversations with women, including women legislators who themselves are really eager to defend the notion of womanhood as a biological reality sufficient for legal protection. Again, what was the women's movement for? But you're absolutely right. You know, this is an administration that has promoted itself as being, first of all, a an administration of moderation. That was the platform on which Biden ran. We know that's not the case, number one. And number two, he has put these pet progressive projects ahead of the true interests and needs of women in federal law. And the fact that he has made a sort of theme of transgender rights. Again, we're talking 0.6% of the population, and that's a generous estimate ahead of biological women's and has called it the civil rights issue of our time. I think it's not only specious, it does a disservice to true civil rights movements, predominantly the African-American movement for desegregation through the civil rights movement in 64 and the women's liberation movement in the 70s. We're not seeing anything close to what those two sets of populations dealt with for decades. What we are seeing is the elevation of a particular issue above other individuals. And our civil rights law does not exist to promote certain classes over others. It requires a balance of interest. That's the nature of representative democracy, right? It is ruled by majority. We have to do what's best for the majority of Americans, knowing we can't always get it 100% right, but never in civil rights law in all of the decades that we've seen it developed, we have never seen someone's subjective gender identity or any subjective belief whatsoever form the basis of any canon of civil rights law. It's unconscionable to me that now we're requesting the same level of protection for individuals who believe themselves one way or another, as we do, for example, individuals who, as the Supreme Court has said, by accident of birth are born women or <laughs> or African Americans or members of a particular population and yet this administration doesn't seem to have much care for the way we've done civil rights law in the past well i would say this administration's motto is let's not get let's not let facts get in the way of a good story because they don't have any facts <laughs> that back up really anything they say they come up with these you know, these heart tugging stories or whatever they'll come up with, but there are no facts to back this up. And let's remind everybody who's listening here, supposedly 81 million people voted for this craziness. So right. anybody right. voted for this because everybody knew going in that this is what was going to happen. This was one of many dominoes that was going to fall when you put people in office who think they know better than you. And that they don't represent you, right? It's, it's really about, I'm going to force everybody to live in a delusional world because I have power and you don't. That's why I think it's so important for, for you and, and the Heritage Foundation to continue to speak up on this because you just feel like pulling your hair out, don't you? Yes, we, we do sometimes. I will tell you that. But part of working in D.C. to affect change throughout the country is making sure that the law is interpreted as it is written. In other words, a textual interpretation of the law in much the same way that we interpret the Constitution as originalists. 
the letter of the law is as it is. We read nothing else, and we take the plain and ordinary meaning of what it was written to be at the time. And I don't think anyone would pass a straight face test by saying that Title IX, when it was written in 1971 and passed in 72, meant anything other than biological distinctions between male and female. And we see this administration using that case I mentioned earlier, Bostock versus Clayton County, mm-hmm. as an excuse to expand the definition of sex and all of civil rights law. And what I would say is that the opinion began with Gorsuch's very important statement, one often forgotten by the left, in which he said, we begin with the assumption that when Congress wrote the statute, sex meant biological distinctions between male and female. And that was the foundation for the rest of the opinion. He went on to talk about attitudes and behaviors. I think he got a little far afield in his rationale, but we know that the opinion began with that and that sex means biological distinctions. It does not mean gender identity. Those are two subjective concepts. Well, you know, when they put laws together and you ignore natural law, then the law you're putting together is going to lead you far astray. And it's going to lead you into a place right now, right, where we're basically living the screw tape letters. And, you know, it's ironic that it's the Department of Education that is forcing a delusion. Because I thought science was part part of education, but we've given up on biological science to live in a fantasy land and force everybody else to, you know, start living like Mary Poppins. You're exactly right. And boy, that's such an apt comparison to talk about the screw tape letters. I am a big fan of C.F. Lewis's. And isn't it interesting, the subtleties of his language in writing to Wormwood and telling him exactly how to gently convince them of things that are wrong actually being right. And the use of language, I find quite frankly, impressive from this administration. And we see so much of the left's manipulation of language to accomplish its ends. If we throw in terms like equity versus equality, if we throw in terms like social justice, if we throw in terms like discrimination, what we're ultimately seeing is a very sort of soft to the ear recommendation and ultimately dictation that we're going to change the foundation of American law. One that was built on equality, not on equity. We are not pushing one class of individuals above another and to eliminate women's safety, privacy, and equality for the sake of 0.6% of the population, to me, throws the entire paradigm of American government and our constitutional republic on its head. It is just not the way this nation is designed to operate efficiently. Well, it wasn't how we were created, right? We were created with what everybody had innate dignity and has a dignity given to us by our creator. Yet we seem to, you know, we, you know, heaven forbid we mention the word God, but we can secretly tell kids they're trans in school without telling their parents. Uh, We really have gone off the rails and we pick up speed as we go. And I think you're right. I think language means a lot. And I think it's important, right? I think the Catholic Church has done a poor job of standing up and saying this from the hierarchy, that this kind of stuff is wrong. I mean, they have no problem about talking about what's going on at the border. Why aren't we talking about the assault on women in a louder voice? Because 
look, everybody needs to be rowing in the same direction on this. And I think that's kind of, I get the point of your article, right? Everybody, this is kind of where we are and this is what's going on. We need to stand up against this. I could not agree more. And, And I will tell you, if the church is quiet on issues like this, and particularly so in education, because as someone who served in the Federal Department of Education and who follows these issues closely, I can tell you what we are seeing is an increasing effort to win the hearts and minds of our children. The younger and younger teachers who are coming from extremely left-wing progressive Um, political ideologies who are coming out of the teaching academies where they are learning progressive ideology, see themselves as missionaries for leftist interpretations of American history, social science, politics, law. And what they're doing is aiming to ultimately alter what our children are hearing at home in an effort to win them. But these are not these are not ideologues. They should not be ideologues. We send our children to school to learn. And I have to tell you, as a mother of three in private school, two of whom need specialized services, an IEP and a 504, I'm very passionate about thinking that we can regain public education with the right administration and take back this influx of critical race theory and critical gender theory and obfuscation on gender transitions. And I have seen it happen. I see momentum on Capitol Hill. We are seeing parents' bills of rights, like the one that DeSantis signed in Florida. And all I can say is keep going. It is so important to push back. Demand transparency. Our children are not wards of the state. They are our most prized gift. And it is our responsibility as parents to send them out into the world with the values and the traits that we believe are important according to our own sincerely held religious beliefs. The more involved people can be in their children's education, the better off the next generation of kids is going to be. Well, you know, I can't believe we're down to a minute because you talk about this topic and you can go on forever. But it is, you're right, it's an indoctrination. And let's be honest, the government can't run a post office without losing billions of dollars. To think that they can raise your kids is total insanity. How can people follow what you're doing, Sarah, and follow what's going on at the Heritage Foundation? Because I think they need to stay on top of this. So go to heritage.org. You can search by any issue that you'd like. We have an entire education department and a legal department that are dedicated to following and countering all of these issues. And you can follow me on Twitter as well, where I tweet about issues like this at Sarah P. Perry. Well, Sarah, again, thank you so much. Appreciate the article. And you can go on the Heritage Foundation to look up this article and other articles that you've done. Uh, Really appreciate the good work and coming on today because... Good grief. Everybody should be screaming from the mountaintops. (laughs) Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.